Uh, welcome to the Evan Roberts podcast. Instant reactions to the Nets getting their asses kicked by the Atlanta Hawks. Mike Biseglia, who has his own podcast, Mike Delivers, was actually featured on the broadcast today. Mm. The best part of this stupid Nets game was hearing about him and almost naming his kid after Ryan Rucco and his son Ryan getting a picture on the broadcast. Bro, that was the best part of the game. Congrats. I know. I know. I appreciate that. Thank you, Evan. It's funny, too, because I was watching this game on delay. I started it like a half hour behind. So my phone, I put it on airplane mode because I just know there's just too many people to text like, hey, I'm not watching it live. Don't bother me. And then <laughs> when I came off airplane mode, I had 17 text messages. I was like, oh, boy. So that 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 happened. But that was cool. Hey, yeah. that's really good news. That means at least 17 people were watching the Nets well, against the Hawks well, tonight. Well, it was I actually randomly I went on Facebook and there was a girl I hadn't talked to in 20 years. And she DMs me on Facebook and goes, I think I just saw your son on the Nets game. <laughs> good for you. Now, I'm curious before we rip this team apart. Yeah. Did you use any of your, you know, you're kind of a star. You produced Taz and Malusis on the CBS Sports Network, Zach Gelb. Now you're, you know, you're doing all these sorts of podcasts. So I'm sure you've booked Iron Eagle before. Did you use your power to get on the broadcast or was it just random? Well, if you, so he mentions in the video clip about how Ryan Rufko came on right. uh, my Mike Delivers podcast. So I, I, I guess I would say I would use my producer skill set and I emailed the Yes Network and I gave them all this information. I got kind you. of playing to the idea of, hey, I know how producers think. Here's an idea. And I gave them that information and then they ran with it. Uh, what nice. was fa- interesting, too, and then I made a joke about my cat was I've actually been on this before. And in the past, they had sent sent me like a, an, an email saying, hey, just a heads up. We're going to feature you on tonight's, uh, you know, uh, where Brooklyn at. Right. So just get a heads up. And tonight they never did that for this. So my wife and I are watching it and they're showing all these like cute babies. And my wife's like getting like pissed. She's like, <laughs> why is our baby not on here? He's cute. And I'm like, hey, I, you know, but there's a lot. They're, they're just backloaded with babies. And then and then they use it as the closers. That was that was kind of there cool. you go. Well, congratulations, because that Thanks, was Evan. the best part. This game. I know this game sucked tonight. And I feel like this is your fault. And I'm going to explain why for those that don't know, they think I'm a Nick hater and maybe I am, but Biseglia is even worse. I mean, he's texting me last night early on in the Nick Raptor game, complaining about the fact that the game is close. Like, Oh, can the Knicks just get blown out? Right. And eventually they did. Eventually they ended up losing by 17. This is my fault. I know where you're going. You're right. Thank you. (laughs) I know exactly where you're going. And obviously what killed the Knicks in this game is they were historically inept from three. They ended up finishing the game three for 36 from three. Their starters were 0 for 23. It was this huge deal. So tonight, Mm. the Nets lose by 18, not quite 17. And even though it wasn't as historically bad as what the Knicks did, I feel like you brought on the karma, the juju, if you will, of the Nets having this just awful night from three. And it was awful. I mean, they missed their first 12, I think, from three. They were 0 for 10 in the first quarter. From three, they were, yeah. I think it was one for 17 at that yeah. 6.3% or something like that. That stood out to me on the halftime stats. Oh, it was awful. And look, it, when we diagnose why they lost this game, because there's a difference. There's two things. There's why they lost this game. And there's, hey, what is creating concerns moving forward? Yes. But one of the main reasons they lost this game, it's kind of simple. They didn't make shots. I mean, right. it's just... <laughs> 
they could not make shots. And some of these looks were good looks and they couldn't make them all night no. long. No, they couldn't make the shots and they were missing them. And th- these were shots they made particularly in the second half on Wednesday's game versus Atlanta. But tonight it was just dreadful. Kyrie couldn't make a shot. I mean, uh, TLC was putrid from the field. Joe got a little rhythm late, but at that point it was way out of hand. Uh, and then the bench that we saw from Shamit and Prince, which was so great in that Wednesday game, just they didn't even take a shot in the first half. And then it was just nothing garbage time in the second half. But you're right. The shots weren't falling. And that's something I think, They'll make shots, obviously, at a better rate moving forward. But this concern now, and you you brought this up before, and I think it's interesting, is like now that they've played six games and you can kind of get trends on this team, this was the first Nets game where it was like, this was a bad game. You know, the yeah. Hornets game, okay, fine. They came back, whatever. They showed some grit. The uh, Memphis game, nobody played. This game, it was like this offensive rebounding second chance points thing is becoming a problem. And clearly it's something that they need to take care of, or they have no chance of doing anything in the playoffs. Well, I mean, Clint Capella bullied him. I mean, how many times in this game was there that moment where you think they're about to go on a run and Atlanta gets a second or third shot, usually created by Clint Capella bullying Jared Allen or yeah. Clint Capella bullying DeAndre Jordan. Though it was mostly Allen because Allen was on the floor most of this game after Jordan, you know, did his typical thing of starting and starting the second half, which oh. Nash addressed before the game. But yeah, I mean, they got bullied. We saw John Collins the other night in the game. The Nets won, do whatever he wanted. He had another pretty good night tonight. But he- here's one of the concerns, and it's not the offensive rebounding, which we'll get to. It is TLC who you brought up. Timothy Lawabo Cabarro could not make a shot tonight. Ugh. And because of that, the Atlanta Hawks knew, all right, let's just give him the looks. He yep. ain't hitting shots. TLC missed open shots, and they started to say, all right, well, let's make sure Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving get, can't just get into the paint whenever they want. So they were hurt by the fact that when you had Irving, Durant, one of the bigs, it doesn't matter, Joe Harris on the floor, they basically said, hey, there's two guys on offense that's not going to beat us in TLC and whoever the big was early on, DeAndre Jordan. TLC sucked. I mean, yeah. he he really hurt them. I'm not trying to say this game is on him by any stretch. I'm just looking forward. Spencer Dinwiddie's not walking through that door, obviously. I think we both agreed, hey, Levert should come off the bench. Steve Nash even said that the other day when he called Levert redundant. And Levert, by the way, is no exact threat from three either. Nope. When he puts up a three, I cringe sometimes. So TLC's got to pick up his game because he really hurt them, especially with the way he started early. It felt like every time the Nets had a chance to like dig into the game, maybe it was eight to go to five, seven to go to four, nine to go to six. It was TLC taking a three and he missed it every single every time. time. And it, it just felt like he was there to get this little run going. It was a, the Nets were on a 7-0 run, I want to believe, like halfway through the third quarter. And they made it manageable where they could get this to a point where they could make this a competitive basketball game. And then to Atlanta's credit, they like went on an 8-0 run themselves and ballooned the lead back up. And it was a TLC miss every single time. And, you know, I credit him, I guess, early on for still feeling confident and stroking the shot. But you're right. If he's going to miss shots and Spencer, you said, is not coming back through those doors, that's a problem for the Nets. And it's been such a Jekyll and Hyde feeling with this team. It's like sometimes you look at Wednesday's game, Prince and Shamit making threes. This is the deep bench we talked about. Then you look at tonight and you're like, wow, they don't have the depth 
that Atlanta has, and it's not even close. And Atlanta was playing with two of the, without two of their best bench right. guys and Rondo and, and Gallinari. Yeah, they were missing key pieces tonight. You know, I think what hurt our, our mental state is the fact that they started the season with two colossal blowouts. Right. One over a team that's probably not any good in the Golden State Warriors, so you take that with a grain of salt. And one against the Boston Celtics, who they happen to match up really well with because their size is not an issue the way some other teams' sizes can be, as we've seen with Atlanta. And so they win their first two games. They blow teams out. They actually look good defensively. And so I think the thought going through your mind, my mind, and probably many Net fans' minds is, wow, this is going to be fun. This Mm. is going to be easy. And they've played four games since then. One of them you could throw out because they didn't play Durant. They didn't play Irving. The game against Memphis. Game they could have won, but as we know, Because of maintenance reasons, those two guys aren't playing. So you've got three games since the first two. One was that loss to Charlotte. And then the last two games against Atlanta where, look, the first win they had against Atlanta was because their offense, and this is going to happen a lot, which is going to be fun. They got two superstars. And so even though Kyrie Irving sucked for the first three quarters, he can step up and dominate a fourth quarter. And we saw KD look like KD most of that game. So their brilliance And like you mentioned, what their bench was able to do early to keep them in the game, Shamit and Prince specifically, they were able to beat a team strictly based on their offense. That's not going to happen every night. And so on a night like tonight where the offense isn't there, their lack of rebounding, their inability to defend on any kind of consistent basis, Mm -hmm. and their turnovers, which has also been a problem, bit them in the ass because they weren't able to make up for it by making shots all night long. How many times do I have to watch DeAndre Jordan with an outlet pass that's stolen? I mean, I think I've, I've counted like four or five already this season. It's been brutal. The turnovers have been rough and that that's scary. And, and it's scary if, if the bench isn't going to perform, if they're not making shots like they did tonight. And then also like the biggest concern we had as Nets fans coming into this season is, or was it still, it still is in a sense is Kevin Durant going to be Kevin Durant? And I know in the second half of this game, he had some silly turnovers and he dribbled the ball off his foot out of bounds, but Kevin Durant's looked great. I mean, if, if, if you told me this is what I was going to get from Durant, like 28, seven and six or whatever the hell it is, I'd been like, all right, let's sign up for this right now. But the fact that he's playing this well and that the rest of the team looked so bad, that's kind of like got this feel, like this gut feeling in my stomach of something's not right here. They need to figure this out because this long-term success, even if Durant's this good, isn't going to make a difference. They're they're missing a toughness. They're missing a rebounding effort. It's like they're just – I saw Reggie Perry in the game, and I was like, man, I don't know. Should we try him in a, in a <laughs> role here to just give him some bulk inside, just some toughness? They're missing that, like, that power forward that can come in the game, get some rebounds, set some screens – they don't have like the intangible guy. That guy is missing on the power forward side. And I think it's evident. And and um, this game scared me a little bit. And, uh, and we'll still learn what Atlanta is. Obviously, they're off to a really great I think start. they're going to be good, Atlanta, by I, the way. I do, I do, too. I think Atlanta's going to be very good. And I'm not just but, saying that. And I don't but, think we're both just saying that because they're off no, to a I good agree. start. They have a lot of talent. No, Atlanta, I mean, you know, Atlanta, for Atlanta, they've – they, they added really good veteran pieces that can come yep. off the bench. And then they have a really nice young core like DeAndre Hunter. I don't think anybody's talking about nationally. 
correct me if I'm wrong, but he was like the fourth or fifth pick in the NBA draft last year. The kid's a baby out of UVA. Well, there's there's I mean, a couple. They, they've got young. They've got reddish. Uh, there's there's a couple of things about there's a couple of things about Atlanta that make him dangerous. First of all, John Collins missed a bunch of time early, and I thought that just killed their season last year. Totally with the suspension. You mentioned Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish feels like a different player. You know, when Cam Reddish yes. began last he looks season, different. Yeah, he he felt like a bust in many ways, and he is really really coming into his own. So Reddish is a lot better. We know how good DeAndre Hunter is. Solomon Hill's playing his ass <laughs> off. We didn't even get to see that rookie Ogonku, Oyeka, Ogonku, I think is how you pronounce it. So, look, Atlanta's a deep team, and they're going to score a lot of points, and we've seen that over the last two nights. I also wonder this whole two-game series thing, which is a part of True. the difference in the scheduling, how that is going to kind of unfold as this season goes on. It's not to make an excuse for this game. I mean, the issues that we've pointed out are issues they need to fix. They need to be better on the glass, and they got to defend. I mean, there were way too many just – Easy looks at the basket. There were too many wide open threes. There were too many defensive miscommunication and breakdowns, which you'd hope based on these guys playing together, that itself will just clean up. Guys yeah. playing together will help out. But there are a few things that you can take out of the first six games and say, well, I don't know if all of a sudden that's going to be fixed. You mentioned the toughness. You're 100% right about it. Finding a shooter to put on the floor next to your four starters. I'm starting to think I throw Bruce Brown a bone. Let's see what this guy's got. Totally. First of all, all we heard about Bruce Brown is he can defend and he could hit the three. I think he hit it at about 33, 34% last year. And he's a young player who may only get better because Landry Shamit, you said it was a non-factor in this game. TLC is so hit or miss. It feels like when TLC has a good night, it's a mm. great night. And when right. TLC has a bad night, it's tonight. Like, there's no middle ground with Timofey Luwabu Cabarro. That's the, the impression I've gotten over the last year or so that he's been on this roster. But the toughness you pointed out, it's an issue, man, because we're not talking about just losing to the Hawks on a Friday night. We're talking about what are the things that's going to derail this team from winning an NBA championship besides the obvious, which is injuries. And the toughness thing is scary, man. And how many times tonight? I, I swear... I'm like four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Nets down 16. Kevin Durant's on the ground. Every time he goes down on the ground, it's terrifying. And I feel like tonight, especially, he was on the floor he a was. lot. I mean, I guess, you know, good news is he's going for loose balls. He's hustling. He's, he's obviously playing. playing. Yeah, right. He's defending shots. He's going for block shots. I know he's been posterized a few times, but I look at that as a good thing. I'm like, you know what? KD is trying to defend. I'd rather, get, I'd rather see your guy get posterized than move out of the way. It shows that Durant's playing Exactly. Hard. But it exactly. was it was a little, and that's why Jared Allen's been on the other end of so many of these, but it was a little scary seeing Durant go on the ground a few times. That, that was a little nerve-wracking. But to what you said before, like, yeah, let's give Bruce Brown a chance. Let's see what he can do out there. Like, at least this early stages, it's been interesting to see Nash and the decisions this team is making with these guys. Like, he's really sticking with these lineups. Like, I think in the past, maybe with if Kenny was running this team, he would have been like, all right, we're down 17 in the third with eight minutes to go or whatever it was. Let's go try to get a spark from, from Bruce Brown, like Nash sticking to what, what the plan is and not really deviating from it. Yeah. Well, one plan he has deviated from is Durant and Irving only right. playing together, which we saw over the first three games of this season in which they did play together. I was really keeping an eye on it tonight. 
there was only a besides garbage time. So just eliminate the final three minutes of this game when Steve Nash gave up before that, there was only a sequence of about four and a half minutes. And it was right at the beginning of the second quarter where neither of the superstars are on the floor. Mm. So he has clearly made a concerted effort to say, all right, I got these two star players. I need to have one of them at least on the floor. That was not the case to begin the season. So that's certainly been a change. Um, the other thing I noticed is, look, Jared Allen's playing more than DeAndre Jordan. And I mentioned this on Twitter earlier today. It doesn't offend me that DeAndre Jordan is starting. And I brought that up on the last podcast. Obviously, Jared Allen's better. And yeah, there are times in which I say, all right, get DeAndre's ass off the floor. I just think we go nuts a little bit sometimes about the first five minutes of a game and the first five minutes of the third quarter. Because that's that's literally what we're talking about in terms of the difference between starting and coming off the bench. It's about amount of minutes, but more than that, it's about crunch time. And even today, as they were trying to make their run in the fourth quarter, Jared Allen was out there. You didn't see DeAndre Jordan after Nash took him out at about the five-minute mark of the third quarter. We never saw him again. He never got back on the floor. I agree with everything you said, but I, I am curious to see what it would look like if he were to start because these last two games versus Atlanta, they've come out and they've been down. I mean, they've been down points and tonight they could not come back on Wednesday. They were able to come back because Allen had a much better game and the Capella thing wasn't a big difference. I'd be interested. And and you're right. It's about the other stuff. And that is more important, but I would like to see what does it look like when he starts a game? What does that do for Allen's psyche? What does that do for these early starts I want to see what that looks like. And you're right. Yeah. Does it matter? Yeah. Allen's obviously a good kid and doesn't really give a crap. And he's there and he's and DeAndre Jordan's jumping on his back after the win on Wednesday. And, you know, who knows how much of this is real or not, but it seems like they all get along. But I think, you know what, if you're going to, if Allen's going to take a step and be the guy, there has to be a, you know, the ship's passing in the night. And I'd like to see Allen start. And I'd like to see what that does to the bench, how that changes things. I think this is not, you know, Manu Ginobili who can come off the bench and score. But wait a second. About, can I talk about rebounding and toughness? I, I get that, but let me, let me counter that with this. You say, hey, let me see what it looks like. Well, let me give you an example of what it's probably going to look like. Okay, Allen's running with the first team. He's running with KD. He's running with Kyrie. When DeAndre Jordan comes into the game, it's usually going to be with Karis Levert anchoring the offense. Levert and Allen, as we saw in the bubble, have a chemistry, True. you know? I'm not exactly excited about that bench unit anchored by Karis Levert, who also, by the way, needs to pick it up. Levert has sucked. Let's call it like it is. He has not been good so far this season. But that's one of the things that's going to look different. Now it's Levert and Jordan when Levert and Allen already have that chemistry. So I'm not – look, from a confidence standpoint, that's it's, – it's something that I can't define, right? So it's just right. pure speculation on what will it do for Jared Allen's confidence – I have no idea. What would it do for DeAndre Jordan? Is he going to start moping? I have no idea. That that kind of stuff I can't sit here and argue because I have I don't know. Like that's inquantifiable. Sure, not the right word or unquantifiable. Whatever. No clue. <laughs> no clue. We don't know. But yeah. Allen and Levert with the second unit. Not that it worked out so you know beautifully today. Obviously, yeah. really everything sucked in this game. I mean, there was nothing really that worked when you think about it. Like when Durant and Kyrie were both on the floor, it's not as if they were outscoring Atlanta. Nope. It, it didn't matter. I don't think there was any combination or trifecta 
that worked out in the positive direction because they got their they got their asses kicked. This was one of those wire to wire victories, but it, I know why it's brought up. I understand your point. Look, Allen's better than DeAndre Jordan. I'm not going to argue that. Nobody would. I just don't think it's going to make that significance of a difference to to flip the two of them. That's all. I am. I, you brought up Lavert. You said the word sucked. He's been. He really has. He's been. He's been bad for this team so far, and I think the expectations that we saw from him at the end of last season, pre-bubble, you know, the 50 game against Boston, and then what we saw against the Portland Trailblazers, the expectations for Karis LeVert were through the roof. And I don't know if it's, you know, trying to gel with this new role, if it's trying to mesh with Kyrie and Durant, but he has not been the same player. We saw like a little burst of it tonight when he had that steal on Bogdanovich and then drove to the basket and yep. went up. He had a, a couple of plays here and there, but for the most part, he has not been the same guy. And I get, I'm getting trolled now all the time by uh, the Twitter guy, Dolan J. Trump, who's now texting me, Karis Levert's not a third star. This team can't do it with him. He's not that good. Julius Randle's better. And it's just, I, 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 I and it, 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 the truth be told, it gets under my skin. He does a good right. job. I'll, I'll, I'll say that, but right. it, Lavert's been bad and I don't we saw this when we saw the Nets start last season to begin the year Lavert was bad too um he's he's had slow starts right since that injury like the, the year before we put a put a donut on a bobblehead night or whatever he's kind of <laughs> Lavert's come out of the gate slow and then he gets hot towards the end so I'm kind of hoping that this is the same trend with Karis that it just takes him a little bit to get comfortable because every year Lavert's been in a, in a new role, like right. he's kind of been in a new new position. Absolutely, each time based on where the roster is, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Kyrie Irving, now Kyrie and Durant, and I think it takes him time to get comfortable. So I'm leaning on past experience to hope that Lavert turns into what he was in this new form. Because again, he's another guy; he's got to step up, or there's just no shot. Yeah, well, the third star thing, we just got to calm down about. I mean, who's the Lakers' third star when they won an NBA title last year? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah, I mean, yes, you need two stars. I'll give you that. You know, outside of the rare examples, I get that. But this idea that, oh, who's the third star? They have to find the third star. Guys have to play better. You hit on it. I mean, Karis LeVert's got to play better. I'm not trying to define him. He's got to be a star. Right now, he's got the important role of anchoring this offense when Durant and or Kyrie aren't on the floor and basically being the backup point guard for Kyrie Irving because that's how they've been using him. And he's got to play in more control. He plays out of control sometimes. He settles for step-back threes way too often that drive you nuts. I made this comment at the end of the Memphis game. Take it to the basket. Well, that's how I feel a lot with Karis LeVert. Good things happen when LeVert takes it to the basket. Either he finds an open teammate, he draws contact and a foul, or he gets points in the paint. But when he settles for these jump shots, he's not a great jump shot. He's not a great jump shooter. You know, maybe that's going to get better as time goes on. Hopefully it will. But he just isn't shooting the basketball very well. He's got to play better. I mean, there's there's a list of guys that need to play better. Karis LeVert is towards the top of the list. But... This goes back to something I said earlier. The way they won the first two games, okay, Mm -hmm. created this feeling, whether we wanted to say it or not, deep in our soul of, we're going to kill teams. We're going to kill them every single night. We're going to crush teams. And after the first two games, 
that hasn't been the case. No. Even the win the other night again, they're not crushing teams. So, you know, hopefully they will against the Wizards on Sunday. They better. They haven't had a win yet this year. But I do think there's an expectation game here. Not only have, been, have we been waiting for the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving-led team, but those first two games, Mike, led us in the direction of thinking we're, we're the best team in basketball and we're going to dominate. And, and that hasn't been the case since. And there's a higher level of stress now with all of these games. You know, like last year, disappointed in loss losses. This year, you, you, we came in, we're coming in with such high expectations. And it's only been six games. And who the heck knows what's going to happen? There's 66 more of these. But they sting a little more when they lose. And they feel a little better when they win. And I know the cliche, can't get too high in wins. You can't get too low in losses. Well, I can't handle that. And I just get emotional <laughs> with them. And I have a problem with it. And I feel good when they win. And I feel bad when they lose. And the two games that started this season, I mean, they were monsters the way they played. I know. In sync, hitting shots, playing defense, defending. I mean, it was like. Those first two games were everything I fantasized about yes. this roster when it came together. And, you know, Spencer wasn't even playing that well. He didn't do that much in those games. But I do feel with him out of there. Oh, they and miss I know, him. And I, and I know you, we have to get over it because he's gone. You just can't, you know, he's not part of this team. He's not part of this, this year's Nets. But, boy, you miss what he could give them, especially with that second unit and yep. getting to the basket and getting to the foul line. Boy, I, I miss Spencer Dinwiddie. No, I know. And, and they're going to miss him. And this isn't one of those injuries where you say, ah, when Spencer comes back, there is no when Spencer's coming back. He's out for the year. The guy may never play another game as a Brooklyn net. It sucks. It's a part of the game. And let's be honest. Yep. There's probably going to be more injuries we're going to deal with. Hopefully it's nothing as catastrophic and hopefully no. it's not the superstars, but it's a part of basketball. I should point out uh, the Wizards are going to win. On Friday, they're going to win tonight as we record this podcast, and they're doing it without Russell Westbrook. So <laughs> there'll be a debate down in oh, D.C. Ah, you know, Beal and Westbrook can't play together. But bottom line is they better beat the Wizards on Sunday because it's it, the expectations, not just for ourselves, but the Nets are a team people target, you know, and you understand why they've had a lot of hype. They have yep. the superstars on their team. They are now a hated team. You know, especially from Nick fans, which you'd understand, but even around the league, you want to see super teams fail. I mean, think about it this way. If Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving decided to team up in, you know, you name the place, we as basketball fans would be sure. rooting against them. That's what we do. We're not sitting here rooting for these other teams. So it's also that target that you face that there is a lot of stress. Now, I'll throw this at you to try to make mm -hmm. you feel better because I tell myself this all the time. I think I know what you're going to say. Too. What am I going to say? Let's see if you've nailed it. You're going to say the big three with Miami were nine and eight. I wasn't even going to say that, but that's a good point. I like that. <laughs> that's how, that's what I'm telling myself, Evan. Well, it's yes. I mean, that, like that, that is record. true. You know, I the, the one team that jumped out to an amazing start. That was a newly built team was the Celtics in a way. Like right. they just, I think they were 19 and two, something ridiculous. So there are exceptions to the rule. No, what I was going to say is, I don't believe there are going to be fans in the stands, legitimate fans in the stands for a very long time. Right. Even during the NBA playoffs. So what I'm getting at is the regular season in 2021 is mm -hmm. going to mean even less than ever before. Because in the past, you'd say, yeah, but I want home court advantage. Good point. I really want that one seed, man. I want home court advantage throughout. 
And as a season ticket holder, but more than that, as a fan, you have a better chance to win when you have home court advantage. If you agree with me and my assessment that we are not going to have, you know, maybe there's a thousand people at games or two thousand people at games. But if we agree it's not going to be capacity, no, then home court advantage is going to mean very, very little. Maybe not quite like the bubble, but it's going to be similar in that. The teams are traveling the same, too. So if the Nets are in a best of seven series against Milwaukee, they're doing the same travel. Sure. So I get my overall point is, even though, trust me, I want to win every single game, is this regular season will probably mean less than most regular seasons because you don't even have home court advantage really mattering. No, that's very true. I mean, it really will. When it comes down to it, it's going to be about the matchups. And if your team's playing well and. I, yeah, you're right. It's going to be a slightly uh, bigger difference than the bubble because, you know, not, not tonight, but home teams like, you know, when they're at home, cause they, they get a feel for the shooting touch. Typically, you know, they've said in the past, the role players play better at home, but all that's going to go away. If it's going to be like without the fans, I believe that. So no, you're right. That will make a difference. And that won't, uh, you know, uh, uh, this, this, this actually jumped in my head from earlier. And I was just curious, like, if the Nets typically this would have been the Nets would have been in Atlanta Friday tonight. Mm-hmm. Would you have felt differently about this game if this was a loss, a home road split, and they went to Atlanta and it wasn't like the home home scenario for the no. Nets? No, no, <laughs> no, because I think every time the Brooklyn Nets play outside of maybe in LA against the Lakers, in LA against the Clippers, especially when you're facing teams in the Eastern Conference, the expectations are. Hey, we're better than them or just mm. as good. We should beat them. Look, we we praised Atlanta earlier. I think Atlanta is going to be a playoff team, but I don't look at them as a team that should be on the Nets level. They better not be. If they no. are, the Nets had a failed season. So home, road, the expectations are very high. I mean, and it's not a coincidence that every game they've played outside of the Memphis game, at which was affected by Durant and Irving not playing, they're favorites in every game they play. Right. They were favorites in Boston against the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics were a team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I get Kemba Walker's out, but still. Right. So my bar, and I and I think it should be, is very, very high. The expectation is to go out and win every single game. And when you look at who they're facing coming up, when you look at their schedule, they play the Wizards, they play the Jazz, they play the 76ers. I know they're tough games at home. They play Memphis. They play Oklahoma City. They play Denver at home. They play the Knicks. They play the Magic. Until they play the Bucs on MLK Day, man, I look at that schedule, as good as the Nuggets are, I expect to win every single freaking game. I know they're not going Mm -hmm. to, but my expectations are high, as they should be. I think it was was on with you where Steve Nash made the comment about, like, the first couple of games, all the teams are revved up, everybody's energetic, and you see kind of, like, all the teams just kind of at that same point. And then you get into the second and the third week of the season and teams kind of lose their juice, lose their energy per se. And that's when teams that are better start to uh, tally up victories. And to me, based on what Nash said, this is where the Nets now need to get the win. So instead of, you know, they're three and three, all of a sudden they're seven and four, 10 and five, 12 and seven you know, whatever it might be. And they start to get the wins and this stretch now is where it begins. And uh, it is fun that there's at least a game every other night is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's time to, it's time to buck up and get some W's. 
So do you feel better? Do you feel like talking about it made you feel better after watching that trash for two plus hours? It, you know what? I, it does make me feel better because <laughs> what would have happened was this would have all been festering up inside. Right. And then I would have gone on Twitter and seen all the obnoxious Nick fans at <laughs> me and, and getting on my nerves and then me writing something, then deleting it. So this actually was therapeutic. I thought it was a good conversation. See? And I See? thought it was, you know, actually like uh dialogue that was rational and not like oh here's a john collins dunk over jared allen that suck like right. this felt good, good job thank you well i'm glad i'm glad that helped you <laughs> could follow you could follow Baseglia before he deletes those tweets at mike delivers pod i appreciate it i think this was the first time you ever joined me on an instant reaction so we got to suffer through a loss together and congratulations on your son ryan Baseglia. And I tweeted this out earlier. If you want to see the adorable picture, mm. Ryan Basegli appearing on where Brooklyn at on the broadcast on the Yes Network. Congratulations. I appreciate that, Evan. Thank oh, you. Oh, wait, there's one other thing I got to point out. I don't know yeah. if people know this. So what's that? I have the NBA package and luckily I have one that doesn't have blackouts. Right. And so I what happens is they show you the in arena entertainment. So even oh. though there are no fans in the stands, right. they still have in arena entertainment. And so I got to see the introductions of the Brooklyn Nets starting lineup, which was mm. cool because, man, yes, I miss yes, being yes. there. They do not announce Kevin Durant last. What do you think of that? Uh, Does that so bother you? Um, I guess is, is this his, his decision? I mean, I don't know. All I know is, and this is the second time I've seen this, both games against Atlanta, I was watching it this way. Kevin Durant gets announced first. The Are order they- is... Durant, DeAndre, huh. uh, Joe Harris, TLC, and they end it with the local kid, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> and, and do they run out and give like the high fives and do yeah. the whole thing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Be so weird with nobody there. Well, they pump in fake crowd noise. So during these introductions of your so player, you could, th- you could trick yourself into thinking the place is full because right. – with the lighting, yeah, I really can't see the stands anyway. And yet you hear the loud, excited crowd. It's it was very interesting. I'd I was taken to, back by that when I first saw that Durant wasn't announced last. I'd love to go to the one of these games to get the experience of what it's like seeing the best basketball players in the world play with no fans. I think would be really interesting from a fan standpoint just to see what that is like. Because I mean, like when I when I think of no fans, I just think of like me playing in my rec league basketball league in Bloomfield, New Jersey, and there's seven people in the stands watching it and there's no crowd and no energy. I'd be really curious just to see what it is like watching these kind of guys, this top level elite talent with no energy, no vibe in an indoor arena. I think it would be fascinating. It would be fascinating. You're right. You're right. I don't know if we'll both get to see it, but no. at least it's something to think about. Uh, Mike Pisegli and Mike Delivers Pot. Thank you for listening to this edition, the Brooklyn Nets Lose edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. (laughs)